0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined once again by Jeremy Kuzmarov, who is managing editor of Covert Action magazine. He's the author of four books on U.S. foreign policy, including Obama's Unending Wars and The Russians Are Coming Again with John Marciano. It's been a few years since we last spoke, Jeremy. How are you and how is Covert Action doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I uh, probably uh, I hadn't been yet a covert action last time we met. Uh, The the magazine, yeah, restarted. uh, It was formed in the '70s by CIA whistleblower Philip Agee, and was restarted several years ago by his son Chris Agee. And I started working there, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago, close to two years ago. And yeah, we're building up our readership, and yeah, we feel we have an important niche. You know, kind of exposing the U.S. Empire and the Deep State. And the media largely ignores these topics or sugarcoats what the U.S. does abroad. So uh, we do our best to expose the, re- the reality and present more global perspective uh, than the media in North America.
0: Yeah, covert action uh, is great. I'm a regular uh, reader. And you know, I thought we could start with the latest article that you have posted on covert action because yesterday was the anniversary of the assassination of MLK Jr., And the truth of his assassination for me has always been important because previously as a history teacher and professor of international relations, you know, I was forced to teach about MLK. And when I discovered that Coretta Scott King and King's family did not believe the official story and they sued the government in 1999 and they got a verdict that said local, state and federal government agencies participated in the conspiracy to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr., I was just floored, Uh, you know, at the schools where I used to work. I'm sure most schools in the US, they've got MLK quotes in the hallways. And, you know, we have the holiday each year and people talk about MLK. And I'm like, what's the thing we should be talking about is that the government killed him, you know, and everyone sugarcoat that doesn't even talk about that. And I think probably even some listeners are not even aware of this. Could you sort of briefly speak to uh, MLK and his legacy and and this, you know, what happened to him? (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, well, his legacy was, you know, great legacy, uh, I think, you know, for human rights, for African Americans. Uh, he, You know, he stood against U.S. Empire. He gave, a year before he was assassinated, he gave a uh, powerful speech against the Vietnam War and how the U.S. was the you know, greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And many say, uh, suggest, and uh, actually, I think after he gave that speech, Stokely Carmichael whispered something in his ear that, you know, the man, you know, don't mind, if, you know, demand a Cup, cup of coffee at a lunch counter for blacks, but when you call his, you know, uh, his soldiers hired mercenaries, he's going to come after you or something to that effect, and Carmichael was correct. And, you know, if you look into it, it's really an elaborate conspiracy uh, that took place that was planned out over many years uh, to assassinate King uh, with the FBI taking the lead uh, in collaboration with local Memphis officials. It seemed they, they steered King to Memphis. They may have even staged the garbage worker strikes uh to bring uh, king in memphis and that was the kind of fertile territory where they could assassinate him because they had many friendly local officials friendly local police chief <coughs> excuse me friendly mayor friendly governor uh and so um they actually uh well there's a whistleblower in the case uh who name was ron adkins senior who was a city official in memphis uh who also had affiliation with the ku klux klan and was involved in the plotting uh, with FBI officials, notably Clyde Tolson, who was uh, Hoover's number two, J. Edgar Hoover number two, and um, Adkins, his son, uh, you know, after Adkins senior died years later, uh, uh, the King family lawyer, Pepper, uh, got in touch with the son and the son wanted to reveal what he knew about his father and his involvement. And I think the father claimed that uh, they actually, because that garbage worker strike in Memphis that brought King there uh, started when two garbage workers were killed uh, in the truck, you know, they, uh, they got caught up in the, in the truck and got killed. And actually, Adkins Jr. said that they were murdered, that somebody deliberately pushed them into the truck so they would be killed. And this would ignite a strike uh, against the terrible working condition of the garbage workers who are mostly black in the city of Memphis. And that would bring King to Memphis. And then they made sure he stayed at the Lorraine Motel. Uh, They can set up the scenario where he'd be assassinated. And they used James Earl Ray as a patsy uh according to Atkins yeah this was planned years in advance that as Ray was some kind of con man uh who was involved mostly in petty crime they later you know made him out like he was this great racist but actually people who knew him said he was not a racist uh he was largely apolitical though he was somewhat anti-communist uh which was be typical of the time but uh he actually had an army background and he may have been involved in some psychological, uh, you know, uh, MKUltra type psychological experiments uh, that they did. Uh, and they may have, you know, they would test people's personality. I think they found them to be you know, the perfect personality of somebody who could be manipulated. Uh, and what happened is that, you know, he was arrested and he was in the Jefferson city, Missouri prison, and they were able to corrupt uh, the uh, official, you know, the warden, was uh, connected with the FBI and CIA and he was corrupted and they staged a a breakout of the prison. This was all elaborately planned out uh, because I think they knew that, you know, somebody who escapes from prison is entirely dependent. Like, you know, he can't do anything. I mean, there are certain people who he needs for his own survival because any movement he'll be caught and sent back to prison. So uh, he's somebody who's very easy to control and manipulate and so they had him escape from the prison. and yet the, the their other inmates, like uh, who knew about some of the shady going on goings on, and they actually uh, were later found dead in their cells. You know this is like a major conspiracy involving um, numerous murders. And yeah, Ray, they could easily control, you know, once he was out of the prison, they set him up with uh, some people, you know, some criminal organizations who are giving him things he needed, like a passport uh, and other documents uh, that he needed and, you know, source of income by doing certain criminal acts. And then they steered him to Memphis and this rooming house where they can set him up uh, to look like he was the assassin and you know they they planted they went so far as you know they planted guns and stuff uh, that made it seem you know on a doorstep but actually uh, witnesses said those guns had been planted you know the official story was that ray left the rooming house he was staying this rooming house next to the uh, hotel uh, the lorraine Motel, and that allegedly it assassinated him from the bathroom window but actually the crime scene firstly it was actually impossible forensics experts who looked into it, said the angle would have been impossible. He would have to have been hanging out the window. And then the only person who actually identified him as being there at that time was a complete drunkard uh, and had no credibility. And then his wife uh, actually said he wasn't there at that time, but they made like she was mentally ill or something to, to discredit her. And they put her in a mental asylum for like 10 years, scandalously. Uh, And actually, allegedly, you know, he escaped the rooming house and dropped the bag uh, on the store. But the people at the store said that actually the bag had been dropped before, well, before the shooting. And it's like there's a version of the grassy knoll. It's believed the real shooter was in this grassy area behind the motel. And somebody had brought King, there was an informant within his inner circle who brought King out to the motel uh, balcony at the right time so they could shoot him and their theories as to who the shooter was it may have been a memphis police officer may have been a cia contract killer uh, a guy named moses uh, who had done killings in europe for the corsican mafia um, in any event yeah it's again you know you can read the article for all the details and you know the credit goes to to William Pepper, who was the King family lawyer who kind of over years unearthed uh, a lot of the details of this massive conspiracy. And actually, one other thing uh, I found is that uh, even after he was shot, he was still alive. You know, he was brought to a Memphis hospital, and a nurse testified that the doctor could have saved him, but there was one rogue doc, the main doctor. Uh, I think his name was Breen Bland. Ordered like the nurses and everybody out. And they have smothered him with a with a uh, pillow to ensure he died. Uh, So this conspiracy involves many, many different individuals. Uh, And yeah, Ray was was set up and then the, the trial was rigged and his lawyer had ties to the CIA. Uh, and they wrote uh, kind of false books about him to make him seem like he was guilty and seem like he was this rabid white supremacist racist. But I mean, really, he had no motive uh, uh, for the crime. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's amazing to learn all these details that have come out uh, and how elaborate this plot was. And yeah, in many way, they were criminal geniuses who who pulled this off. But the ends were were, were sinister and, and horrific.
0: A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30 minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's borderless health insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, for me, it's it's important because our government portrays itself and, and us as, you know, these superhero, you know, Captain America good guys when our own government is assassinating you know peace activists and our own presidents you know and and it's just crazy um so i thought we could get to you know last time we discussed your book the russians are coming uh, again and i guess the russians have come uh you know what what's your take on uh the current ukraine situation and the russian some people call it russian invasion of ukraine other the russians call it you know special military operation what are your thoughts um Of what's going on in 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 ukraine
1: well it's it's a very ugly and dangerous situation i mean the, the you know people of ukraine are suffering greatly uh there's really a looming threat of a broader world war uh you know i think we see attacks now like this uh recent massacre at buka that's being played up in the media in the suburb of kiev we don't really know exactly what happened uh it's possible it was a false flag attack uh just you know we just received an article today that hopefully we'll publish soon uh, discusses this uh, nazi figure you know the Azov battalion who was there and you know, what was he doing there so we don't know i mean i think the russian you know have committed atrocities in the war but the ukrainians have committed a lot of atrocities and i i think the uh you know backdrop is you know and again this kind of incident could trigger much wider Western involvement. And this could be, uh, you know, it's already uh, evolving into a proxy war. It could lead ultimately to a nuclear war if, if we're not careful. And there are uh, some people advocating even <laughs> nuclear first strike within the U.S. government. So that's a very dangerous situation, and it's diverting, you know, uh, so much money and resources into military and weaponry at a time when we have so many pressing problems, uh, including, you know, social problem within the United States. Huge. Poverty, homelessness, uh, underfunding of education and, and healthcare, and the last thing we need—and this is a you know global problem—many many countries, uh, are, you know, uh, governing priority they're skewed, and this is just skewing things even further. And you know, we see European countries investing a huge amount of weaponry and money into this, uh, and you know, I mean, the media presents this as black and white. You know, Ukraine good guy, Russia bad guy. And that's really very cartoonish, I mean, and kind of fantasy. I mean, the Ukrainian government, uh, you know, was uh, the current regime, you know, as came in place through a coup, as as you're well aware, the 2014, you know, the the media just leaves out the context. It makes it look like Putin's a madman. He just decided one day to invade. I mean, Putin, firstly, is one person. You know, he's not the only one making the decision. It's a broader Russian policy that many in Russia support. Uh, because Russia has been provoked. You know, you can debate whether it was the right thing for Russia to do or they went too far, uh, and there may be legitimate uh, criticism of, of Russia, uh, but our media is, is neglecting the context and makes like you know the United States and Ukraine are just innocent victims, and that's not the case. I mean, the U.S. provoked this coup. You know, Russia had an elected leader, uh, whether it was a perfect leader or not, He, uh, you know, Viktor Yanukovych. The fact is he was instituting certain policies that stood for Ukrainian interest, like when he was rejecting an IMF uh, structural adjustment program that would decimated Ukraine's economy. And Ukraine is already a poor country uh, in relation to the rest of Europe and even by regional standards. The last thing they needed was another IMF program slashing their public services. And that's what uh, Yanukovych was standing up for. uh, And that was, I think, legitimate policy. And, you know, there are mixed attitudes about him, but he had won an election and there was an election coming up you know, in that year, 2014. I think the, the next election was slated for early 2015, but instead they stayed the massive protests and used violence. Uh, and, you know a sniper attack they tried to blame on the uh, uh, you know police that was actually these neo-Nazi groups and some foreign mercenaries seemed to have, the evidence showed carried out these sniper attacks uh, part of a false flag attack. and they you know basically forced Yanukovych out of the country in a coup. and that you know triggered all the problems, uh, including the war on eastern Ukraine and when the two Ukrainian, uh, Eastern Ukrainian provinces voted for secession. The Ukrainian army attacked uh, them, and you know this went unreported for years. Uh, brutal attacks. The UN, a UN investigation, found 80 percent of the atrocities there were committed by the Ukrainian army. Many were committed by these neo-Nazi regiments like the Azov Battalion, and they were basically shelling and terrorizing the people of eastern Ukraine for years. And people were forced to live in underground uh, caves and uh, to protect their children. Uh, so this was going on for years and years, and you know people have a breaking point, And the people of Eastern Ukraine wanted the Russians to come in to to liberate them and to end this, uh, end their suffering. Uh, and that's really the source uh, of the conflict right there, that you know gets uh, neglected uh, in, uh, in the Western media. And the U.S. was pouring in huge amounts of weaponry over years to the Ukrainian army, which committed huge human rights violations. And that was, you know, the U.S. taxpayer should have refused. Or, unfortunately, the you know, groups that are normally, you know, peace oriented and involved in political activism were virtually silent about this and never demanded an arms embargo for Ukraine. And it was Democratic Party officials like Joe Biden were the most hawkish, uh, and it's it's caused this disaster. And you know, Russia had certain legitimate security concern and demand that could have been met. One being a promise not to expand NATO into Ukraine. Uh, and th- this could, whole thing could have been prevented if US leaders and Ukrainians said, we're not going to expand NATO into Ukraine that's, you know, this doesn't work for Russia. You know, they see NATO as a hostile force that has expanded to many different countries now surrounding them. It's natural that they wouldn't want uh, Ukraine to join NATO, their historical you know, bond between Russia and, and Ukraine. Uh, so, you know, it's a basic thing that the US and Ukraine could have agreed to, to avoid this bloodshed, but they refused. And, you know, they refuse other... Uh, Um, you know, a a legitimate uh, concern that Russia had or or policy that Russia was willing to put forward. And they violated the Minsk Accord. You know, the Minsk Agreement was a framework uh, for peace, for ending that conflict. And Ukraine was found by UN bodies to be the main uh, country violating the Minsk Accords and the ceasefire provisions. Uh, so this ultimately led to the war. But that backstory is, is is not being covered in the Western media. So the Western public continues to be grossly ill-informed about the situation and to subscribe to a, a cartoonish view of the conflict. And it could lead ultimately to World War III if we're not careful.
0: Yeah, I'm starting to see now uh, an increase on mainstream news. MSNBC, for example, recently had on a, a U.S. soldier or, or military guy who is advocating actively? This was just like this week, to to for the direct confrontation between U.S. Uh, soldiers, you know, the U.S. Army government with the Russians. Like they're advocating for World War III on our mainstream media. I, I saw another article from the New York Times from last month discussing the use of uh, tactical mini nukes. I think I think they were supposing, uh, you know, accusing that that the, the Russians would um, use use them but nevertheless just the fact that we have the media now discussing the use of mini tactical nukes getting into direct uh, confrontation with uh, russia it's 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 nuts and uh you recently you had an article on covert action from dan kovalik who i just recently interviewed uh, and it was discussing uh, ukraine signaling the end of the american unipolar era which i think many people uh, are talking about Sergei Lavrov is out in the media talking about a new world order where all countries will be on equal footing and I think this is one of the bigger pictures coming out of what's happening uh, in Ukraine I don't as you said like this this uh, event that happened in Bukha I tend not to follow the daily details because it's the fog of war and I really don't know what's going on but uh, I I tend to focus on these bigger markers uh, such as you know the end of the unipolar moment the move to a multipolar world Um, The decline of the U.S. dollar as World Reserve. So what do you think will be the aftermath when all the dust settles in Ukraine? Uh, Hopefully not, you know, nuclear fallout (laughs) dust. But uh, what do you think about what Dan has been uh, writing about and the end of the unipolar moment?
1: Yeah, I think his article a very good. Analysis is very good. Yeah, I think the U.S. actually has a, a grand strategy, and that was to induce, because they, they could have prevented the uh, war many times, but I think they wanted the war, the U.S. government. Their strategy was similar to the strategy deployed in Afghanistan in the 1980s, which was to arm the Mujahideen, to provoke a Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, to bleed the Soviet empire, and give the Soviets their Vietnam as big new Brzezinski. Uh, said and it's the same blueprint for ukraine they want to give the russians you know their vietnam bog them down into a quagmire and weaken russia because uh, the u.s is very concerned about the growing alliance between russia and china and exactly what you say uh, a turn toward a multipolar uh, world order and they can't accept that so uh, they want to destroy russia and then the next target may be china uh, but will this strategy work I don't know. I mean, I think the sanctions are a crucial part of the strategy. Uh, they The calculation that the sanctions will uh, weaken the Russian economy and then that will precipitate unrest among the Russian population who will then move to overthrow Putin. But so far, Putin's popularity rating has only increased since the war started. Uh, and I think they may also have wanted to drive a wedge between Russia and China over this war. But China seems to be standing by Russia. And the sanctions could backfire because, you know, by cutting off Russian uh, uh, financial exchanges, uh, they're moving to uh, and, and freezing currencies. They're moving to um, using the ruble more, they're using moving more towards economic self-sufficiency and deepening their uh, alliance with China and moving towards uh, you know, moving away from the dollar as a, a currency exchange and currency reserve. So this seems to be intensifying a trend that was already prevalent before, maybe intensifying as a result of the sanctions. Uh, and, you know, Saudi Arabia may be even moving away from the dollar, you know, as far as oil trading. Uh, so it does appear that we're entering a moment of history, a major shift that is occurring, um, major power shift uh, that will result in the, the weakening of the West and the growing strength of the East and you know, China and, and Russia. I mean, China may be the big winner in all of this uh, because the West is, you know, U.S. is spending so much money. On, on military uh, and China is continuously focused on an issue like the One Belt One Road, which you know uh, is a mostly positive initiative that uh, uplifts people out of poverty and wins a lot of you know friends for China. And uh, you know China, you know, well, I mean the the Western financial architecture is eroding, and China's economy is looking stronger. So. I think yeah, China may be ultimately the big winner, uh, but I think, yeah, we are witnessing historic shift. And I think it is a dangerous time because the American empire, a defining feature of the American empire was its violence. I, I think when historians, and there is one good historian you may be familiar with, would be good probably for your show, Alfred McCoy. Wrote a good book recently, uh, and he's, I think, the one historian I know working in the United States who's compared the American empire with other empires like the British and Spanish uh, and even earlier empires. And I mean, they all did terrible, ghastly things to extend their hegemony. I think a feature of the American empire is the extreme violence, even by the standard of other empires. Uh, They often, you know, uh, like, you know, just think of the Vietnam War and all the excessive bombing uh, it's almost like a character of other empires they're just bombing for nothing and this destroying forests and you know, overkill or bombing the peasants of Laos who barely even know who the United States is. Uh, just because they have this uh, fantastical military machine. So I think, and, and look what we saw in Iraq and Af- Afghanistan, you know, they couldn't even subdue a country like Afghanistan, despite using, you know, the mother of all bombs and this absurd military technology. I mean, it's something, you know, out of a, a science fiction movie, uh, but I mean, it's reality and Again, that that feature, you know, this extreme violence uh, and these extreme you know um, weaponry that they develop, uh, you know makes again a very dangerous moment because with American exceptionalism, the Americans believe you know it's God's will for them to be the dominant power in the world. And as that starts to slip from their grasp, we could see apocalyptic violence, you know possibly even nuclear war uh break out so I, I think it's a dangerous moment for humanity even if ultimately a, a multipolar world order would be much better than what we've seen the american unipolar world order was a disaster for many you know people around the world so but you know uh, until we get there fully you know uh, the american won't give up quickly and that that's i think a, a big danger
0: i i would agree that we are in this dangerous uh, moment, whether it's nuclear war, uh, even biological warfare. Uh, who knows? I mean, that's another topic. But um, I also wanted to touch on a topic that you've written about, uh, which I think is very uh, important. And I haven't touched on this topic. And it's one of the reasons I like Covert Action magazine is because you you talk about this stuff that some stuff that no one else has uh, covered. And you do it in a way that's um, very uh, academic. You you have a lot of good sources, you know, very credible um, way of, of doing it. And and uh, you've written on how Bill Clinton is a CIA asset whose ties to the agency go back to the 1960s when he was a Rhodes Scholar. And you've also recently written about how Barack Obama was the CIA uh, as well, how his mother Anne was a CIA agent or recruit. Um, you know, could you tell us And, you know, it also I think it's also important in the past, I've interviewed Jefferson Morley, who declassified the documents and how Mexican presidents were CIA agents, CIA assets. So you've got U.S. presidents and CIA assets, Mexican presidents. And I'm sure with all of these coups, you know, throughout the Cold War and up to today and many other countries, we've got presidents who are CIA assets or, or agents. And so what can you tell us about uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama being uh, the CIA and the greater meaning uh, of that as well.
1: Sure. Well, I think the greater meaning relates to what we were just discussing that, you know, uh, I mean, I think Americans are in denial for years that they've actually been an empire. You know, America was founded as a republic, uh, which freed it, liberated itself from the clutches of the British Empire And they never wanted to think of themselves as an empire and, uh, you know, but I mean, the reality is the United States uh, was one of the most powerful empires in history with more, you know, military, overseas military bases than the British and Roman Empire at their apex uh, and could, you know, uh, uh, manipulate the politics of countries uh, all around the world in a way that British imperialists could only dream of. Uh, so even if some uh, aspects are true, much more indirect than past empires. So, uh, the, you know, there's been a denial in the United States about this and also a denial how it's infected American politics and perverted democracy. And that's one of the points of the McCoy book is that all empires ultimately self-destruct uh, in part because, uh, you know, they start some of those empires started. Uh, uh, with more democratic forms of government, or at least uh, strove for a democratic ideal. And the process of empire corrupted democracy at home uh, and resulted in the adoption of methods used to control people's abroad, uh, to achieve their empire. The same methods were brought back home uh, to control populations. And that's what we've seen in the United States with the massive unprecedented prison apparatus. Uh, and we've seen that in the corruption of U.S. democracy with the growth of these uh, massive intelligence agencies uh, that, uh, you know, again wield uh, power and influence in countries all around the world and manipulate their politics. Uh, and you know, they're, uh, the CIA is probably behind, behind Zelensky. Just like they were behind many other foreign leaders. Uh, and, and at home, you know, they manipulate and corrupted American politics at home. So Clinton and Obama are two good examples of that. And yeah, you know, look at the background of both of them. Uh, and I was just building off research, some other uh, you know, there's others who've done this research before me uh, who unearthed it. As far as you know, Clinton, we can start with Clinton. Uh, You know, Roger Morris wrote a seminal book for viewers who want to learn about the Clinton and his background. Uh, Roger Morris wrote a book called The Clintons and their America, which was excellent. Uh, He was a former uh, NSC staffer uh, who resigned in the Vietnam War. Brilliant writer. Anyway, he I think he interviewed or he in his book, he recounted an interview with um, Cord Meyer Jr. said. You know, oh, we got to Clinton. You know, Clinton was uh, a recruiter of the Three Bad Words CIA. Uh, when he was, at, it's believed he was either recruited when he was at Georgetown or Oxford. Uh, a key figure appears to have been Strobe Talbot. Uh, who is later his key uh, key policymaker in carrying out his Russia policy? Strobe Talbot came from like an old Eastern establishment family with a CIA connection, and his I think grandfather had been uh, significant, uh, some kind of I, I have to review the details. Somebody served in the Truman administration, a high-level military intelligence. I forget the exact position. Uh, But he was uh, Clinton's roommate at Oxford. And people wonder, was it coincidence? Maybe somebody put him as the roommate. Uh, It's not exactly certain. But... That connection, we know, is obviously very important. You know, Strobe Talbot uh, was a Russia expert who, uh, uh, well, uh, the two, uh, he ultimately translated Nikita Khrushchev's memoirs, you know, and Nikita Khrushchev had denounced Stalin, and this could be used as ammunition in the Cold War because Khrushchev exposed uh, the moral corruption of the Stalin regime in Russia and can be used to promote anti-communist. Uh, ideology in the United States. So the CIA wanted the ha- their hands on those memoirs and writing denouncing Stalin and his abuses by Khrushchev. And Talbot was the one to translate it. But Clinton, when he was a student at Oxford, made a mysterious trip to uh, Russia with Strobe Talbot. Uh, I would believe, you know, and Clinton at that time, his family was not wealthy. He came from more or less a broken home. Uh, although his his uncle, I think, uh, had Ties with organized crime and uh, helped start his political career in Arkansas, but he wasn't from a firm, wealthy family. And so the question is how would he have the funding to travel in Russia? As believed, the CIA sponsored that trip with Talbot, and their goal was to smuggle out the uh, writing of Khrushchev so it could be translated and then broadcast. Uh, in the United States, and he may have served as informant, you know, because they played up his image as kind of hippie in the '60s who became more mainstream, so it could attract the vote of, of the you know the baby boomers, many who had been active in the anti Vietnam War movement, and he kind of presented himself more more on the left and you know more on the anti war side. But if you look at Clinton's foreign policy, he he bombed a lot of countries, you know, he expanded the, the power of the CIA and uh, he used a lot of private, you know, he he started to finance these private military contractors. Uh, so anyway, this was more an image they developed and that he had been a hippie in the 60s. He did uh, participate in one anti-war protest, but uh, I believe there's evidence that he was actually may have been an informant uh, on the anti-war movement. Uh, so... So that's Clinton. Yeah. And then you know, in the 80s, he kind of showed you know, his uh, true colors when he was the governor of Arkansas. He is one of the uh, small number of governors uh, to support the Contra war in Nicaragua, uh, you know, the counter revolution against the socialist Sandinistas and the CIA arming and training of these right wing terrorists uh, to try and overthrow the Sandinistas. And he um, allowed you know, and, and basically green lighted this major operation at Amina, Arkansas to smuggle arms. And it also involved drug smuggling uh, to the Contras. And he helped cover that up. Uh, and he was I think if you look into his career as governor, he was very corrupt. So so that's Clinton. Yeah. In the 92 election, they said there were two candidates uh, you know, who were both tied to the CIA. George H.W. Uh, Bush, who had been a CIA director and Clinton, and telling you know, George H.W. Bush they could have brought him down because he was involved in the Iran-Contra scandal, but Clinton never criticized him because he was wrapped up in that scandal too with the MENA affair. So you see how American politics goes. Yeah, it's, it's the dominance uh, of the intelligence agency and the you know, military-industrial complex and the, the War Hawks. And then Obama, yeah, really deceived the, the American people. Uh, you know, his family background was, connected to the CIA through his mother, uh, who was, uh, you know, she was a student at the East West Center in Hawaii, which was like the School of the Americas for Southeast Asia. And she was an anthropologist who worked in Indonesia on microfinance uh, loan projects. But it was in uh, Indonesia in the 60s had a major, you know, they had a socialist leader named Ahmed Sukarno, and he was replaced in the coup, a violent right-wing anti-communist coup led by Suharto, that the cia was behind and then there were mass killing pogroms against the indonesian communist party which had aligned with sukarno that was the largest communist party uh, in southeast asia at that time and there were you know maybe a million maybe even two million uh, killed uh, some being ethnic chinese and obama's mother worked for usaid and ford foundation as an anthropologist After the coup of 65, I think she went there in 66 or 67. And firstly, as she was married to an Indonesian army colonel, who served in a very high position in the Suharto government. And then she worked in the microfinance uh, projects, but she worked in the and it seemed kind of very benign and, you know, um, promoting development and women's development. But actually, she was sent into the eastern Java province, which was a hotbed of the Indonesian Communist Party. And the goal was basically to tether uh, women or you know, people uh, living in that area away from the communists uh, by giving them loan, basically buying them off with small loans uh, so they can start a new business. And then they would renounce, you know, they'd become good capitalists and align with the uh, capitalist entrepreneurs, align with the uh, Suharto government and renounce uh, support for the Indonesian Communist Party. And suspected, but not proven, that she worked in, uh, in part because she was one of the few who had the access in those villages because she worked there for numerous years, and she had the language. There are very few with that combination, uh, so it was believed that she was part of Operation Prosim's, where she would provide information on the political affiliation of villagers, uh, and that was used for these pogroms that was carried out or oppressive campaigns. Uh, uh, by the Indonesian army that would round up the communists and either jail them or, in some cases, kill them. Uh, so, and there are signs, you know, she had worked in the American Embassy, uh, which had been uh, had a huge CIA headquarters. Uh, she was tied with the Asia Foundation, which was an old CIA front. So, there are a lot of signs that indicate she was very likely involved in that program, although we can't prove it definitively. Uh, and then there's other members of his family, uh, including his grandfather appears uh, had been in the uh, OS uh, military intelligence units in World War Two, and I believe based on the pattern of where he moved that he may have worked for the FBI, and was involved in surveillance. Uh, uh, operations, uh, different varieties. And then he may have actually, there's a, a photo what shows Obama's mother as a kid with a school uniform that's eerily, that looks like it's uh, an elite Lebanese prep school. And it's possible Obama's grandfather yeah, was with the CIA in Lebanon, Middle East, and then worked stateside. Um, and there, there's all kinds of uh, twist to the story that I don't want to take up too much time, but even with a, the a father, it's not certain who Obama's real father is. And there may have been an arrangement uh, uh, between Stanley Armour Dunham. Um, but it's believed that Obama's mother may have been impregnated by uh, uh, somebody else, a Black artist, and that, you know, one thing that was suspicious was Stanley Armour, the grandfather, was pictured in this east-west center exchange. So he presented that he was some kind of furniture salesman, but somehow he was the coordinator of this exchange where the State Department CIA brought foreign officials from Africa who were, and other countries who were being groomed and Southeast Asia were being groomed you know for the, for top position in their country as assets of the state department and cia so he was obviously well connected uh and then uh yeah obama senior uh, as a uh, you know it, it's possible or likely that obama's real father was frank marshall davis and that, that uh, obama uh you know a senior knew stanley through these state department cia programs and that they created the story uh, to cover up uh, how Obama had been conceived. Uh, so anyway, there a lot of intrigues there. And then during the election, uh, you know, John Brennan, you know, the close relationship between Obama and John Brennan, uh, the CIA who was CIA, CIA director under Obama, that may have started when Brennan ordered the destruction of certain documents that could have shed insight into Obama's past. And possible connections to intelligence agencies, and there are other signs. Like Obama approved these bio labs uh, even as a senator, and he was involved in some shady missions uh, into uh, Eastern Europe uh, and Russia. Uh, and he was the one to sign off on these the bio labs in Ukraine. Uh, and Brandon may have been the one to cover up Obama's true background, and they forward this type bond. And if you study Obama's foreign policy. He advanced the interests of the CIA at every step. In fact, Leon Panetta, in the meeting, first CIA director before Brennan, in Obama's tenure, said Obama gives the CIA everything they want. So that's the kind of leaders we're getting like Clinton, Obama, and, you know, they may be more effective than Republican because they cultivate this liberal facade uh, and they uh, basically block, you know, major protest, you know, they they, they cultivate this illusion that they're, you know, promoting liberal humanitarian policies when really they're advancing the interests of the American empire and, and giving free reign to the intelligence agencies.
0: Yeah, we're told that we are we live in a democracy, but we're really largely run by military intelligence and not just in the United States. You know, we've got, uh, as you said, B- Bush was CIA director, the senior Bush. You know, Bush, um, Clinton, uh, Obama. The, in, in the U.S., you know, in Russia, we have former KGB as president. I recently interviewed Ed Calderon, who's a former Mexican paramilitary police who says here in Mexico the The Mexican military runs the show, uh, you know, not the president. So there's a number of countries where uh, we're not run by democratic politicians, but military uh, and intelligence. Are there any issues uh, that are are, uh, on your mind uh, that you wanted to get across um, that we haven't touched on? Uh,
1: Well, yeah, I think this is significant because, as you say, yeah, I mean, I think these agencies have grown more and more powerful uh, and I think you know this new cl- they've really been manipulating public opinion to support this cold, new Cold War against Russia and China, and they've really taken control of the media. You know, and they advanced this Russia Gate narrative uh, that I think has conditioned the public to see Russia in Cold War terms as an evil empire and Putin as an evil leader, uh, and it's it's just furthering their own. Power over society, and further leading to the destruction of democracy. And yeah, we see growing censorship uh, uh, in different walks of life, uh, whether it's in you know, universities, schools, um, and internet censorship. Uh, so I, I think you know things are just getting worse and worse. And then the capital riots. Uh, I've done some research on that topic. And there are grounds to believe that the FBI, you know, had infiltrated these far right-wing groups uh, that were responsible for initiating the riots. And I'm currently researching a figure named Ray Epps, who you may be familiar with. Yeah. was a Marine intelligence officer whose video, you know, he whispers in somebody's ear. That's how the Capitol riots started. He whispered in somebody's ear who actually is a criminal uh, named, um, I think it starts with an S. Now I'm drawing a blank on his name, but you see him in the video. He's the one who knocks over the first barricade and then the mob follows. So these uh, appear to be provocateur. And actually, this guy with an S, the thing is like Ray Epps seems to have been a main instigator, but he was never arrested. And meanwhile, a lot of the rioters are arrested, you know, and some of the sentences seem a bit draconian. Some people who followed the crowd into the building. Uh, and they, you know, entered the building and they're getting like, uh, you know, five year jail sentence and one committed suicide. Uh, I mean, they, they did violate the law. So I, I think they should be prosecuted. But some of the sentencing seems a bit out of whack. And then especially if you consider if the main ringleader is not being prosecuted, you start to raise questions. And then, you know, it might fit with the general uh, trajectory of, of what I'm saying this this deterioration of democracy and manipulation of public opinion uh, because you know the, the narrative is that oh they're these right-wing extremists they threaten our democracy we need more vigilance and it's leading to new legislation you know anti-terrorist legislation in the name of combating white supremacy and then you know it goes back i mean they, they may have conditioned the public over decades now. Uh, And I was also looking into the Oklahoma City bombing, where there are a lot of provocateurs in these right-wing white supremacist groups behind the Oklahoma City bombing. And even Timothy McVeigh had a background in the Special Forces, and he alleged to his cellmate that he was recruited for a special army mission. And he may have been set up as a patsy, uh, just like uh, James Earl Ray, and appeared there was manipulation and again, it may have uh, you know been designed and there may have been rogue elements within the intelligence agencies and government uh, who, who bombed Oklahoma City and may have been behind other terrorist attacks as part of a strategy of tension to keep the public in fear. Uh, and that enables the passage of draconian legislation. Because a year after the Oklahoma City bombing, the Clinton administration passed this draconian anti-terrorist Legislation that gave further funding to the FBI and cut civil liberties and all kinds of different ways, and that's you know, following these major events like the Capitol riots. We're seeing new rounds of legislation that's upping the ante further and is further funding you know police agencies and giving them new uh, powers uh, that um, you know tramples the U.S. Constitution and the civil liberties uh, and rights that the people. Uh, we're supposed to enjoy a democratic society. Uh, so it, it's a very disturbing pattern. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think we see a world in, in chaos right now and, on the thread of potential nuclear war uh, with, with this new Cold War uh, as, as democracies further eroded at home. Uh, so it's getting to be a kind of Orwellian dystopia. And we're not even getting into the COVID and how they've been pr- produced these lockdowns. Uh, and they use the public health care uh, to advance further draconian laws. Uh, so I think it's all tied together. And there's this kind of our oligarchy at the top. We're making huge money. Uh, off all this, with the military-industrial complex, or, you know, pharmaceutical interests, uh, and then you have some, uh, you know, extremely wealthy uh, individuals who may be pulling the strings uh, and and creating a truly dystopian uh, uh, social order. So, you know, people really have to mobilize. But in a pandemic, I think organizing is is exceedingly difficult uh, when people are, are isolated. I mean, they're already isolated before. And now they're completely isolated. Uh, and I mean, if you look back at American history, when things got really bad, like in the Gilded Age, when wealth was really concentrated in an extreme way, uh, you know, people form uh, new parties, like the Populist Party, the Socialist Party. But you don't see that today. You see a few small efforts, but they don't go anywhere. You know, there's a Green Party, but there's a lot of infighting. So I'm not all that confident. And people are so isolated, and atomized. Um, that there's not an effective pushback against the kind of very destructive policies that we're seeing and you know it, the anger of the people could uh, go the other way towards some kind of fascism you know full-blown fascism and so i think it's it's very dangerous situation uh, and a kind of bad you know you get a bad vibe of uh, the way things are going
0: yeah I, I would agree with everything that you've just said and as you mentioned before as the empire Declines. Uh, you know the chickens come home to roost, and everything that went on with the global war on terror abroad um, is now coming. You know the tactics that were used in Iraq are now being applied to the American people. You know we had the after nine eleven these foreign uh, terrorists, um, but now, as you said, they're they're creating these domestic terrorist un- units uh, in the U.S. against us. I mean, basically, a, a, like a Stasi. You know, it's it's becoming a total nazi police state and they're coming after uh, us and yeah false flags I, we shouldn't be afraid to use the word false flag i've i seen the documentary on oklahoma city i i believe that was a false flag just like january 6th and um I, i'm not sure if it was biden that that after oklahoma city he passed something called the omnibus, omnibus actor or i don't i don't recall if that was related to the oklahoma city but yeah, uh, I, all of that. I, I agree with what you say. We've got this uh, oligarchy uh, in the U.S., just like in many other countries, but we just kind of pretend that, that we don't have it. And then we're, we are a true democratic republic when we're not. Um, where, where, what, what are the best websites, you know places online for people to find you? Uh, and are, are there any other projects that we should know about?
1: Uh, well yeah we're at, at covertactionmagazine.com uh, www.covertaction uh, C-O-V-E-R-T-A-T-A-C-T-I-O-N magazine m a g a z i n e.com uh, i have a website jeremykuzmurov.com. uh yeah i think there are you know some good alternative media websites for information like you know grayzone project has done some good exposés uh the war in ukraine some of the misinformation uh, so I would recommend viewers, uh, you know, follow what the gray zone project is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the mainstream media is, I mean, I, I read the New York times and there's some good articles still, but it's obviously extremely you know, slanted and and especially on the topic of Russia, Ukraine, it's just so completely one-sided uh, and, you know, there's so much misinformation Uh it's disturbing. I mean, even if you were you know, critical of Russia, you still want, uh, you know, object, you know, just factual information about what's going on. Instead, you get accusation and accusation against Russia. Uh, and, you know, we know some of those may be true, but m- many may not be. We've been having this for years and years where there's no evidence that the standard of journalism is so low. There's articles making accusations with no credible evidence in those articles. Uh, and there's no attempt to, uh, you know, critically assess the Ukrainian government in any way. Uh, and that's not not journalism. It's just pure and utter war propaganda. So, yeah, it's it's hard to find an antidote. Unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, website, like you know, Democracy Now!, a lot of people have become disaffected with it. That was an online um, news program that some people knew about it that had done has done some good reporting, but... They seem to be more and more aligned with the uh, you know State Department view of, of world affairs uh, often, and uh, you know there's other website like Counterpunch where you get some good articles mixed with some I think bad articles. I mean it takes a lot of time. You know if you if you're able to invest a couple hours per day, it's worth reading all these websites and you'll find some good information mixed with some bad. Yeah, you have to use a critical uh, you know critical thinking skills. Uh, So, you know, there are some, uh, there's a blog Moon of Alabama I check out that's more, and and the Saker seems to promote like Russian government reports. So I think in any war, yes, since the first casualty is truth, you have to try and read both sides and see where the truth may lie for yourself, you know. There's, you know, some truth on each side. Uh, In some cases, the Russians are right, what they're saying, you know, we have to use your critical judgment, if they're marshalling good evidence, like these newest massacres, I don't know, the more like the Mariupol, it seemed there's strong evidence that the Azov battalion was behind the massacres of the, the theater bombing. And, uh, and then this BUCA, I'm, uh, you know, getting information that there are neo-Nazis there, and it may have been a stage scene. That's what Russia's claiming. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, believe Russia's claims right off the bat. But if more evidence comes out that there are neo-Nazis there, and that these bodies only appeared days later, it starts to look real suspicious and that that this could be another black flag, like we saw in Syria repeatedly, these chemical weapons attack, they initially set Assad. But then more investigation found that it was very likely the rebels, and it was all part of a political ploy to get the US to bomb Syria.
0: Yeah, I, I interviewed the Saker some years ago, and it's funny, yesterday on my other program, TNT Radio, I was speaking to Joan Leone of AroundTheEmpire.com, and we were precisely discussing how a lot of the early 2000s independent media has been absorbed by the empire, like Democracy Now!, um, which is now touting mainline establishment views mostly. And so, yeah, it's a struggle to remain... Independent. I was even saying how I used to enjoy in the beginning the Young Turks, and now for me they've gone full again. Establishment. I think it's usually money, money first that they the get bought out. You know, they get millions, and that's nice for them. And you know, maybe they get threats. You know, who wants to live like uh, Julian Assange? And so, yeah, uh, everyone, be sure to bookmark covertactionmagazine.com dot uh, com, a superb website and resource, and do check out Jeremy's books. And thank you for being back on geopolitics and empire.